Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates. America competes. Late Monday night, Belarus released a video on state TV. It shows a guy sitting in front of a table in a black sweatshirt with a pack of cigarettes in front of him. On his face, it looks like there are scrapes and bruises. The man in the video is Roman Protasevich, a Belarusian dissident journalist, and he's... Making what, by all accounts, was a forced confession, uh, saying he was being treated lawfully and well, that he was in good condition and in good health. That's David M. Herzenhorn. Politico Europe's chief Brussels correspondent, who, like other journalists across the continent, has been glued to Protasevich's story ever since his flight from Athens to Lithuania on Sunday was diverted at the direction of Belarus's strongman president and Putin ally Alexander Lukashenko and forced to land in Minsk, where Protasevich was detained. A flight originating in one EU capital headed toward another EU capital had been intercepted, then escorted uh, by a MiG fighter jet, all to be able to arrest this one political opposition figure. European leaders have agreed to sanction Belarus in response to its forced diversion of a Ryanair flight and the arrest of a dissident journalist. Uh, you know, this guy, Lukashenko, who one uh, member of the European Parliament called a tin horn dictator, you know, showed absolutely no fear, no hesitation in sort of thumbing his nose at the EU. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, David M. Herzenhorn on the fateful flight that's become a foreign policy test for both the EU and the United States. David, what exactly happened on Sunday? Well, there was a Ryanair flight uh, traveling between Athens and Vilnius, the capital of Lithuania, which should take it essentially on a, on a straight north shot uh, for two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. The plane was close to its destination, about to cross into Lithuanian airspace, when suddenly the pilots came on the overhead system and announced that they needed to make an emergency landing. The plane sort of dived and made a sharp bank to the southeast, and they headed toward Minsk, the Belarusian capital. Uh, passengers were confused, not very scared. They didn't seem to be overall alarmed. But uh, one person in particular, and this is Protasevich, uh, realized what was happening and, in fact, uh, jumped up as passengers uh, related to us later and pleaded with the cabin crew not to divert to the um, capital of uh, Belarus, knowing what was waiting for him there, which was certain arrest. Mm-hmm. The government of uh, the president, Alexander Lukashenko, is known for rights abuses. It's merciless. Uh, he has been uh, the strongman leader for 27 years. Uh, widespread conclusion throughout uh, the world that the elections in August were fraudulent. Mm. And effectively, a hundred, more than 100 passengers were taken hostage, kept on the ground in Minsk for seven hours uh, while this operation was carried out by the Belarusian uh, special services. One of those passengers, a Greek guy, was actually headed to a connection to fly on to Minsk, and he actually asked to stay. <laughs> he stayed in Minsk. So you see some uh, some quick 
quick thinking by travelers in this uh, age of COVID. But overall, a lot of concern uh, among the EU leaders about, you know, a guy who has, uh, Lukashenko, who has really run um, an outlaw regime for many years. He's already under sanction uh, over the fraudulent elections. He's been under EU sanction and his government has for years under U.S. sanction for years. Uh, None of it, though, has made much of a difference. So you have this leader, Alexander Lukashenko, who is already under sanction by the EU and the U.S., already in hot water internationally, and his country is increasingly isolated because of that. But he decides to take this dramatic and drastic action to detain this dissident journalist. Why did he do it? Well, the best assessment is that, first of all, there have been nonstop protests since August. I mean, really resilience among uh, the Belarusian uh, political opposition uh, led in exile by Svetlana Tikhonovskaya. Uh, her husband, who actually was supposed to be the one of the opposition presidential candidates in that election, was in jail. She ran in his place. She claims that she's won. Uh, some European governments effectively recognize her as the legitimate winner of that election. But these ongoing protests have been a thorn in Lukashenko's side ever since. And so a guy like Roman uh, Protasevich is one of these organizers who helps to keep these crowds on the street coming back, whether they're women or grandmas. Uh, you see quite a popular uprising there. And they've been doing their best, uh, the Lukashenko regime, to crack down mass arrests, uh, constant allegations of rights abuses uh, once people are uh, in their prisons, in their clutches. So it was obviously worth this, you know, big risk, essentially him seeing, you know, nothing to lose to go after this kind of political nemesis and also knowing that, in fact, uh, he has uh, the backing of Vladimir Putin, who used a speech last month, a very big political speech, State of the Union speech in Moscow to the Federal Assembly to make, among other points, a warning to the West to steer clear of Belarus, that that is Clearly, in his view, Russia's sphere of influence. In fact, I I was in Minsk uh, in 2016 to meet with uh, journalists and talk to them. And going around the capital, you know, it looks a lot like uh, Russia, where I was based in in Moscow for four years. It looks a lot like uh, the Russian Federation and other uh, former Soviet countries. Uh, Some folks point out they haven't even updated as Russia has the old acronyms. Uh, The KGB is still the domestic security agency. Of course, that's the FSB in Russia now. And there are some reports that, in fact, two uh, Belarusian KGB agents may have been on that plane and disembarked along with uh, Roman Prostevich and his um, and his girlfriend, who's a Russian citizen. I mean, another wrinkle here where normally if a Russian citizen is caught up in any kind of incident like this and is detained, you'll hear Moscow very loudly protest and express concern about the safety and well-being of their uh, national, their citizen. And that has not happened. In fact, the Russian foreign minister has said that uh, this should be addressed, but it should be done with calm. There's no urgency, no rush. They're in communication with uh, Lukashenko's government, and they're obviously not too worried about uh, this young woman who's taken into custody. Hmm. So unlike Russia, in response to this situation, we've seen swift condemnation from governments in the West. You've reported that European prime ministers and presidents who just happen to also be meeting this week have announced they'll be imposing new sanctions on Belarus in response to this, adopting measures to ban Belarusian airlines from flying in EU airspace or accessing EU airports. We've also seen President Biden condemn the incident, call for an investigation, and say he welcomes the news of the EU sanctions. But given 
what you said about how Lukashenko has continued to essentially rule with an iron fist over the past years, despite previous sanctions, that he probably, you know, did this knowing more sanctions would come given what we've seen in the past and the fact that he has the support of Russia, which also has cracked down on dissidents like Alexei Navalny recently. Given all of that, what do you make of the response we're seeing to this and what it tells us about this moment we're seeing in in international relations? Well, one dramatic uh, step back thought is that this guy, Lukashenko, who one uh, member of the European Parliament called a tin horn dictator, you know, showed absolutely no fear, no hesitation in sort of thumbing his nose at the EU. So there's a real serious question to be asked about whether sanctions policy is working, because again, Belarus has been under sanction by the EU and the US still is uh, for many, many years. Sort of what would it take? Also, the fact that, you know, clearly with the backing of Putin, he is uh, very, very confident. And the risk then of, um, you know, essentially punishing the citizens of Belarus who are already struggling. Some of them obviously been on the streets and protesting others who have, you know, been living their lives uh, again since uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union uh, 30 years ago uh, under this essentially repressive regime. And what does it mean for them that you now cut them off from Europe, that you cut them off potentially from relatives who managed to uh, move to Europe to be working in other countries? Uh, some serious questions there about, you know, is this policy working? But this is really a test for the West at a moment when uh, the Biden administration is working very hard to rebuild transatlantic ties, which were badly frayed during the Trump years, uh, a question of whether the, the West will stick together uh, and stand up to what was clearly a brazen act by the Lukashenko government. And if not only will they stand together, but will they do some serious thinking about what is the way forward in the 21st century? What are the ways to promote democracy uh, and actually be taken seriously without getting into a long standoff where you see uh, Russia or China, you know, essentially, again, thumbing their nose repeatedly at Brussels or Washington uh, kicking journalists out in the case of Beijing, denying accreditation, uh, those kinds of steps that are really showing a, a repression of freedoms, uh, not just free speech and uh, free protest. Uh, you described the situation of uh, Alexei Navalny, the leading opposition figure in Russia who is in jail. Uh, some of these governments getting much more brazen in the way that they flout democratic norms. David M. Herzenhorn, thanks so much for talking with me. Great to be with you. Also today, top House Republicans are condemning freshman Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene after she spent days comparing vaccine and mask requirements to the Holocaust, but have stopped short of calling for any disciplinary action. On Tuesday, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, who defended the Georgia Republican earlier this year when Democrats stripped her of her committee assignments for her incendiary rhetoric, called her latest comments, quote, wrong and appalling, and said the GOP conference was behind him. But he did go on to accuse Speaker Nancy Pelosi of ignoring anti-Semitic sentiments in her own ranks, something that Democrats dismissed as little more than an attempt to distract from his own conference's internal issues. And Republicans in the Senate are planning to present the White House with another infrastructure counteroffer on Thursday, even as prospects for a bipartisan deal 
are getting pretty grim. Right now, the administration and Senate Republicans remain about $1.5 trillion apart and have yet to even agree on the definition of infrastructure. After a Zoom call with White House officials on Friday, Senate Republicans said both sides were only getting further apart, and they appear to be making little progress on how to pay for it as they approach the Biden administration's informal deadline of Memorial Day. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you're hearing and want to help us out, tell a friend to check out the show. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.